All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ podcast. Thank you for letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to episode 11 of the KISS FAQ podcast. Joining me today, or rejoining me, are Alex, bag boy on the uh, message board, Jay, who's music guy, and Lonnie, STL, KISS. So thank you guys for joining the uh, podcast again. And I keep hearing funny sounds in the background today from Skype, so you'll probably get to hear them too. Uh, today's topic is going to be well, before we get to that, I'd just like to show everyone Kiss Exposed. Sweet. I do own a copy, so I I do know that it does have the nineteen eighty two video of I Love It Loud. But you know, trying to think of that stuff off the top of your head when you watch so much stuff I can't remember, and even though people see me surfing the internet while we're recording these, you can't always fact check yourself perfectly, so we talk, we make errors, we deny them later. So today's topic is Peter Chris and the music of Peter Chris before, during, and after Kiss. Um, so let's just get jump straight in at the beginning. The earliest stuff of Peter Chris um, that circulates out there is him with his garage band, the Barracudas, circa 1966. The single was released in January 67, according to Lydia Chris. Um, when she put a bunch of this stuff up uh, for auction with backstage auctions. Um, let's just start the show with a, a little clip from, I think it's, I, I don't know which side it is, A or B, Affection from that single. Okay, 1960s, definitely. Um, B-sides to that is uh, I'm So Lonely, which you'd be very lonely playing that music. Um, that it, Peter's not the singer on those. It's a guy called Carlos Cancel, uh, also the guitarist and songwriter. So, guys, I'm going to throw it out to you, early Peter Chris. I take it you've heard all this stuff before? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's very typical of the era. Nothing particularly, uh, you know, extraordinary about it. It's your sort of run-of-the-mill frat, frat boy music from uh, the late 60s. Lots of Farfisa at Oregon. And, you know, you also hear that, I think, in the, the band that he uh, sounds, what is it, Sounds of Soul? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just very typical. Nothing particularly great about it. It's not bad. It's just kind of forgettable. It's originals, at least. Which, yeah. uh, unlike the stuff the stuff that, I mean, I, I guess all this blends into one thing. 66, he's in Barracudas. 67, he moves into uh, Sounds of Soul, which includes most of the guys he played with for the rest of the 60s. Um, number one, Joey Lucenti uh, was the primary songwriter. It, the Sounds of Soul stuff that circulates, um, I actually won all those acetates at that auction. So we got... Respect uh, and a couple of other cover songs. Joey still has the original 
the originals acetate. So they actually recorded three songs, apparently, of their own material, which no one's ever heard. Or at least I haven't heard. Bastards. Um, so I'm going to play a little bit of one of the songs. And what really dates it, it, it's probably my favorite one, just because it's a really damn good song. So here's a little bit of Sounds of Soul for everyone. So, obviously, that's the Otis Redding arrangement of Respect. Alex, thoughts? Um, music's very, uh, <laughs> I need to go get a milkshake now and, you know, go get a girl in a poodle skirt and get up the, you know, the drive in. Um, and, you know, it's, I was listening to him uh, before I came on today and, Good stuff. I mean, it's it's not bad music, you know. It's definitely very that period. Nothing, you know. If I was to play that and go, do you know the drummer was going to be in Kiss, man? Like, uh, I don't think anybody would believe it. But it's just to me, it seems very generic. But I mean, it wasn't terrible. No, you know, I, I don't. It's it's a cover band. You know, they're they're playing the, they're they're playing shows like so many other bands. We know they've got originals. But they've got their meat and potatoes catalog, which what this is 1967, 1968. What year did Otis's version of Respect come out or Aretha's? It's right in the era. Um, actually, it's before Aretha's because it doesn't have that fantastic arrangement that she killed the song with. You know, I mean, this makes me want to go and watch the Blues Brothers. <laughs> Lonnie, thoughts on all this early, this early pre-Chelsea, Peter Chris? It's fine. It's nothing that I'm gonna listen to more than one once at a time and very far in between times while I seek out to listen to some early Peter Chris stuff from the sixties. But it's not something I'm gonna put on my iTunes on my iPod and go for a run on or something like that either. I was that's grass you that's not what you jam to when you're doing your marathon. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me push them out. And it, it, it's it's fine. It's no, it's it's nothing that really excites me. It's it's very like you guys are saying. It's very standard for the time, but it's 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 nothing that nothing extraordinary. Yeah, and the other two songs that circulate from Sounds of Silver, "Since I Fell for You," which is uh, Buddy Johnson's song for Lenny Welch, nineteen sixty three. I mean, that's just way before my time. Um, even if I call myself a Beatles fan. And uh, My Girl, which, of course, has a recurring theme in history, having been covered by Frehley's Comet. So um, that's that's the end of Sounds of Soul. There's some great photos. Again, all this stuff that we're going to talk about should be up on YouTube. P people just share that stuff all over the place. The Barracudas, the B-side was uh, It's Been So Long, not what, uh, I'm So Lonely, which is, of course, creation with Eric Carr. Um, and there's a second single that the Barracudas put out, and I've never been able to find out um, if it's actually Peter on those ones. Um, it's Chicken and No Use, which are really kind of novelty-type singles, which are so common in the 60s. Lydia didn't know. Um, Peter denied all knowledge of it. Um, actually, I, I think he said it was going to be in the book, but it wasn't. Um, so that, that's... <laughs> 
to kind of cruise through this really early Peter stuff, the last uh, kind of song that um, we really know about is What is a Man by The Vintage. I'm not going to play it because it's just so crap quality. The acetate looked like it had been chewed on by a dog for a couple of years. Um, so it was really beyond the point of salvage. That's one that hopefully the master tapes still exist from. But, uh, you know, after that, there's Chelsea. Thoughts on Chelsea, guys. And this is let's let's talk about the album first before we kind of nail the second album demos. I I, I like I like one song on the album, and and that is uh, "Silver Lining," uh, which incidentally is uh, I think Michael Ben Benga gets a writing credit on that one, and it's very reminiscent of a song some folks might know called My White Bicycle, which was originally done by Tomorrow, uh, later covered by Nazareth. But there's, it's, it's definitely, uh, I would say, probably the only true legit potential single on that entire album. I think the most of it, uh, or the rest of it, is it's kind of generic. Again, I don't think the strong writings, or the songwriting's particularly strong. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's just weird. It doesn't even sound like Peter playing drums. Uh, and I've noticed that kind of a recurring theme with a lot of those pre-Kiss bands, Lips included, that, you know, the jazzy uh, feel that Peter is known for, especially in his early years with, with Kiss, are completely not evident in any of those pre-Kiss recordings, which sometimes makes me question whether or not Peter was actually playing on some of that stuff, or maybe maybe that swing style just was something that didn't fit in anything else that he had done prior to Kiss, and, and maybe Kiss was sort of his entrance into that style of, of playing. But I didn't hear it anyway. Yeah, that's that's a really good obs observation. Something I've never really thought about. You know, Silver Lining is written by the two now deceased guys, uh, uh, guitarist Chris Aritas, um, also co-wrote that with Michael Benvenga. Um, I don't think I can actually pick a song on that that I really get excited about. Um, I think the last time I played the album was when I got a mint copy of it and I wanted to rip it, and that's it. It got burned to CDR and never again to be played. Alex, any any positive thoughts? It, it was uh, it was a nice nice record to listen to. You guys, uh, Peter Chris is on it. And it was like it was more or less like listening to it just because he was on to say I listened to it, and that's really about it. I mean. Sorry, Peter. <laughs> yeah, but it's no worse than Wicked Lester, is it really? If you if you kind of think about it as a... Number one, Peter's not artistically really invested in that project. It's the Mike Brand, Peter Shepley project. Yeah. And that needs to be made very clear. Those two had been together for years. They'd been in the others, I think, uh, in Rhode Island at university together. They'd recorded three singles... They were songwriters. They were apparently hippies as well, judging by the amount of marijuana that must have been smoked to write songs like Rolling Along and All-American Boy. Hard rock music. Which was an anything but hard, anything but rock. And even music is stretching it. So, you know, I, I, I guess it's steeped in the era, though, of the psychedelic you know, or pseudo psychedelic. Yeah, it, fits real into it. it fits really well into the time frame that it was that it was produced and it was made. Though it's it's definitely with a, a late '60s, early '70s vibe to it, with 
with what was popular at the time. Um, and I listened to the album today at my desk, just as background noise. And, and I hadn't listened to it for, for quite a while. And that's what it really turned into for me. It was just background noise. And it's, I didn't, it's nothing that excites me just like the other stuff. And to your point too, it's, it's, and it, it just happens to be like that type of band at the time. And Peter Chris just happens to be the drummer on it. And it really doesn't sound like Peter Chris, like Jay was saying. And it's, it doesn't really, it doesn't have like a Peter Chris signature on it. The album really doesn't to me at all. But I think Rolling Along is a, is a decent song. And yeah, it's got a little bit of a vibe to it, I think. Uh, at least it, to it. But other than that, it, the album just doesn't do a whole lot. Whole lot for me. It's just not my, it's just not my style. Of course, it's got a one uh, a, an arrangement of Polyvon from uh, what is it, the Peter Paul and Mary album, traditional song. But that's about it. You know, hard rock music turns up on a sampler. I guess that would have been the single had there been a single, but. A failure. Yeah, I, think they just, I think they. I think they just lacked focus. Um, I mean, obviously, the songwriting itself isn't particularly strong, but you know, there's a little bit of country in there. There's a little bit of folk. Uh, some feeble attempts at hard rock. A little bit of uh, psych thrown in the mix. So it's it's really nothing in particular. It's just very bland. It needed Bob Ezrin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, you know, Bob would have been all over that. Uh, sent Peter back to camp. So after after Chelsea, they, they well Chris departs and Stan Pendridge comes in, um, the late Stan Pendridge, and they they do a bunch of demos, you know stuff called Red Green, Darling, or also also known as Darling with the Stars Above. You make me feel. I mean, it's still pretty prototypical hippie stuff, and all the demos are basically them with a, uh, a tape recorder just beside them, acoustic guitars, Peter's got a set of congas, so there's no drumming. It's just like guys sitting in a circle on the carpet with illicit substances, um, jamming, <laughs> jamming out some tunes, like, I mean, like so many bands have, have done. I mean, do you think that had they made a second album, it would have been any different from the first? I mean, I don't know. I've, you know, I don't think Stan Penridge is, is necessarily a, a fantastic songwriter to begin with, but I definitely think he had a, a better sense of um, creating a hook than the, the two guys that were primary writers on the first record. Um, so, you know, I mean, I could see the possibility that the second effort might have might have won up the first, but then again, that's setting the bar kind of low since we've all kind of agreed that the first one wasn't exactly... Uh, uh, you know, a mind blower to begin with. But now, are we talking about, because I'm a little unclear, uh, you know, I've heard some of these pre, I guess the uh, prototypic prototype versions of some of these songs that would eventually wind up on Peter's solo album. <clears throat> and I know that those sound very like recorded in a bedroom, you know, not really produced. Do these, do those come from the same sessions that you're referring to, or is this no. lips that we're talking about? No, those those are all lips. That the ones that uh, that turned up on Peter's album. These bedroom recordings are the Chelsea ones, and apparently, according to Stan, the ones that we have, which I think came from him in the '90s anyway, were actually recorded in the studio. Uh, whether that was Mom's garage um, or 
I think they actually did go into a proper studio, so it's just that they've been the quality is pretty bad on them. Um, so, you know, I, I think the second the the Chelsea demos are a little bit more promising. I think Stan, while not at this time a fantastic songwriter, at least from any of the material that we have, and we don't know who wrote who 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 was responsible for these songs, but I think from his later work, he could have been a good foil for Peter. And um, Peter Shapley and Mike Brand, you know, maybe that third point of view to say, whoa, 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 your arrangement sucks here. Uh, well, you probably shouldn't say that to a songwriter, but uh, um, he he could have helped. I think, yeah, could have worked on the arrangements so the songs made them better. So that that Chelsea stuff. Then you get into the the lip stuff, and obviously Beck is going to be the number one. You know pre-kiss demos of any importance um baby driver was apparently demoed as i've never heard that so uh don't you let me down dirty living allegedly you're my woman and don't let the blues surround you i mean that's pretty much all of, all of the lip stuff and don't you let that, me down was, that's kind of bigger papa like yeah yeah that's right yeah. yeah yeah hooked on rock and roll as well so and i'm gonna love you <laughs> Um, and that's the kind of sugar papa like. So we we know, I, I guess we don't need to talk about the stuff that turns up on Peter's solo album quite yet. But Beck, oh my God, is there any difference to you guys on that song really in what it was in 1970, 71, 72 than Beth, apart from a different name? You can see you can see the origins of the song. I think. Um you know, when you when you Paul, when you face the music with Paul down, he kind of built like Bob Ezra kind of wrote the whole thing in a way. But you can definitely see um, where, where it came from. You know, to what input Peter and Stan had with the song. I don't know, it wasn't there, but I'm glad they changed. I'm glad they made the arrangement for the story to the back version. The back kind of reminds me of like I remember I got like a I think it's called like the complete story of Three Dog Night, and they had like some early demos on there, like Three Dog Night, and like you know Danny Hutton and stuff like that. And uh, I definitely had that feel. So I'm glad they uh, at least changed it up a bit. So I don't think you can give Bob that much credit for Beth. The melody, structurally, yeah. Once you've got the melody, for me, and I, I don't know, professional songwriters may agree or disagree. Once you've got the melody, that's the essence of the song. The words are secondary to the melody. Um, the blueprint for it is definitely there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's all right there, and I think I think Bob tweaked it and 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 shined it up a little bit, but but it's it's all there. And the first time, I mean, the first time I heard that, and I came across, it, I was like, you know, as much as Paul as much as Paul wants to to rip Peter like in, in Paul's book, he always says, well, you know, I I really don't know if Peter how much involvement Peter really had in that song because. I doubt well, Peter had much. You can write one song, you can write one number one hit, you can write another. Well, that's not necessarily true. How many one-hit wonders have, have come and gone over the years? You know, that's it's really not responsible saying that because, but I mean, because it's all right there. I mean, we don't know how much involvement Peter had in it, how much involvement Stan had, but in that arrangement, that song's there, and it, it was polished up for Destroyer and, and made what we know it today. Yeah, and we know Peter didn't have a ton of involvement in it. He, by his own admission, um, has said that he, he felt the songs that he wrote for Love Gun, Hooligan primarily, was the first song he'd actually properly co-written with Stan. So we know this is more Stan. 
And we also know how the business works in that if you want to get your music recorded, sometimes you do a deal. And that means allowing someone to put their name on a song. Um, and we just talked about Creatures last week. Uh, you know, Gene gets his name on a Backman Terminator Overdrive song. Simply, Wait. you know, like that. John, John Regan mentioned that too with that song off um, Second Sighting too. That song that I was yeah, the yeah, the, yeah, the Steelheart song. Yeah. So you know, it's the it's the business. I've got a little bit of lips queued up here, actually. So here's just a few seconds of "Don't Let the Blues Surround You." Okay, the cats are caterwauling. <laughs> Uh, it's a little bit painful, but you know what? It's it's no more painful than some of the crap I record and play back and sing. It's just ideas. You get you're getting ideas down on tapes, whether or not they ever make it to a you know a proper stage. I don't know how much of this stuff actually would have ever made it to a, a further stage. So, I'm actually I'll be the first to raise my hand and admit that I actually like. Um, some of the lip stuff, particularly the stuff that wound up on Peter's solo album um, several years later. I, you know, some of the versions of those are pretty groovy, you know, and the singer's got kind of, I mean, he's not a real flashy singer. Uh, I don't know if that's Stan singing or not. Um, but, you know, I think like that's the kind of Sugar Papa likes. I think that that first version with, with lips is just awesome. I actually really like it. Uh, I definitely think there was some. Probably that's probably the most potential in any of uh, Peter's pre-Kiss bands would, would be Lips, at least in my opinion. I think the songwriting's stronger. Um, you know, of course, we didn't get the benefit of a properly produced record like we did with Chelsea, but I would be interested to, to hear maybe better quality versions of some of those recordings that uh, Lips did, because I think some of it's actually decent. I wouldn't necessarily throw it on my iPod and run a marathon, but... <laughs> But it's actually not so bad, man. No, it was good enough to recycle in 1978. Here's a little bit of that's the kind of sugar Papa likes. Get groovy, dudes. Oh. I didn't want you, did not need you. She was me to kick you down. But now I love you, I'm thinking of you. So you can hear Peter in the background there. That's Stan on lead vocals. Peter's clearly on backgrounds. Um, and I'm going to, because of the 78 stuff, I love Hooked on Rock and Roll. Whether oh. whether it's 78 or whether it's 1972 or whenever it was originally recorded. I think that's just a really good song. Um, so, I, I agree. Well, I tell you, I know, I know Peter's not really recording, but I tell you, if he was a, do a single and do some of these songs acoustic guitar with like, you know, just a little like snail drum or whatnot. I think it'd be a cool single to get. Um, and they do that style. I like the, uh, kind of twangy kind of acoustic guitar that was going on there. So 
Yeah, that's actually an awesome idea. Peter, Chris, out there, if you're listening, Record Store Day. Find someone who can play acoustic guitar, get up on a stool, and record a couple of acoustic versions of, like, Hooked on Rock and Roll, and that's the sugar. Easy. Fans would eat it up. Oh, yeah. Eat it up. No, that, that, I, that I'd actually love to see yeah, Peter, Peter do some acoustic stuff. You know, just, like, intimate acoustic show would be kind of fun with some of this stuff. And, you know, I think a lot of KISS fans with 1978 hearing that stuff back then, it didn't work, but as we get older, I know certainly I can listen to the album now, um, and I'm talking about Peter's solo album, I can listen to it with different ears than I did like back when I was first getting into the band in 85 to 86, 87. Back then I had no reference point for that stuff. I mean, even my parents' music wasn't anything like that. So do we get three thumbs up for uh, Peter Chris? Go record some acoustic stuff. Fans would eat it up. Yeah, I think fans would just like to know he's still there. So, after Lips, I I don't think I even want to mention the Death, Rattle, and Roll session because that's just so out there, and I still don't know if I believe the story. So, Kiss music. Peter Chris, Kiss music, guys. And I'm not sure how to handle this as a topic. Um... Favorites. What what are your thoughts on Peter's and contributions? You know his songs. So I guess we can do the the songs that he sung and the song or the songs that he wrote. Well, he wrote. I think I tallied it up. He wrote a whole four songs that ended up on Kiss Records. Is that right? Between Beth, Baby Driver, Hooligan, Dirty Living, and that's it. That is. I don't think there's another one that he wrote. No, that, that's pretty. That's pretty sparse pickings. Pick a favorite. Um, Baby Driver would be my favorite song that he wrote for Kiss for sure. Um, as far as in writing goes, but um, but I mean, his, but his contributions obviously to Kiss are so much more than than the four songs that he that he penned for the band between his drumming and then his vocals on on Black Diamond, his vocals on. Um, even nothing to lose. I, I love his vocals on the live version of Nothing to Lose and the studio version. Both of them are great. And I think it's interesting um, that on the first album, there's three songs Peter sings on, if you include Kissing Time. And you know, there's two on Hotter Than Hell, and then you know, it gets down to the to the one per album. And you know, it makes makes you think too that well, was the relationship with Peter early on very strong that you know, that he was given three tracks on the first album, if you, again, if you include this in time. And, you know, then gradually kind of less, less on. You can kind of see maybe without digging too deep what was going on within the band that, you know, his contribution um, for what he was singing became less and less. It's just very, very clearly black and white. Alex, what, what would be your favorite of his four written or co-written songs? I, I liked it because one, one of the first things I was in middle school was um, I didn't think of Dynasty. So I loved Dirty Living, but then there was this cool website I went to called uh, kissfaq.com, and I'll be proud of it or not. That's Cespin. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, they had like all of a demo section. They had like little 30 second clips. And I remember hearing the, uh, the clip of the Dirty Living demo, and I felt like that arrangement style was so much better. But 
I've always liked Dirty Live, and, and, um, and I like Hooligan, too. Um, especially, you know, if you guys got that the Kiss My Ass DVD or the Kissology to the new Hooligan Live, I thought it was a great track. Um, almost like a hidden gem from the library then. What about you, Jay? Uh, well, definitely, as far as uh, co-written, would be Baby Driver all the way. I think that song's just got a ton of atmosphere. Uh, I think the guitar tones in it are just killer. And I think that's probably Peter's best vocal turn in a Kiss song. Unless you're looking at Beth, which when you think about the stuff that Peter sang uh, on Kiss records, he really doesn't sound anything like the other songs, the way he sings Beth. It's very different from uh, any, which I'm sure probably is some production wizardry going on there with Bob Ezrin. Uh, and probably a lot of vocal coaching. But I, other than that, you know, I think Baby Driver is far and away my favorite uh, Peter Chris co-written song. And I'd have to say probably my favorite of his uh, songs that he's sung. Maybe up there with Strange Ways, too. I think I'd like to find out how many takes of Beth it took in the studio and whether um, they comped it together out of 600 different vocal takes or whether it was just one straight take that they picked or just, you know, come from a couple. So I'd really yeah. love to, that'd be a good question for Bob or for Peter actually, because I'm sure he'd remember. And I'm glad two of you said baby driver. Cause I love baby driver. Obviously it's off my favorite album, but, uh, just the vibe, you know, it, it's uh-huh. really a pulsating, like kind of throbbing song that really, you know, I, I just love it. You know, it's, it's, it was so different than most of the other material. Um, and getting back to what Alex said about Dirty Living, yeah, the original demo, Peter said that they ruined it when they recorded it with Kiss. And I love the original version, the background vocals on that. Um, so that's a great one for some people to go out and check out, um, as well as his other demos on that. For his best vocal performance while a active member of original era Kiss, I'm going to go with Black Diamond. Um and I'm glad he had whatever fit it took to take that song um, away from Paul because it's, it's just fantastic. My runner-up would be nothing to lose. So love his vocals. Love Baby Driver. So let's move on. That, that, anyone else got anything to say on Kiss Era? I only say, I, speaking of the Kiss Era stuff, I really want, if it really does exist, I want that drum solo from Strange Ways. Uh, <laughs> He's seven minutes. Out I'm there. Solo. He's gonna quit the band if he doesn't put that in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's let's move on. We're post we're post uh, unmasked now, I guess, as we're flying through Peter's career in thirty minutes to cover his first decade, um, even with a few songs being playing. So out of control. Uh, you skipped the solo album. Oh my god! How could you, Julian? I'm fired. All right, 1978, solo album. There you go. I mean, I alluded to it earlier. I found it a difficult listen when I was younger. What about you guys? Alex? Oh, you know, I remember being a kid and pulling out my dad's records and first just staring at the covers. But I tell you, I remember the first time hearing any of the songs. I remember hearing Jump in the Jeans Radioactive. So once I heard the uh, intro to Jeans Radioactive album, it was like, well, I don't know what to expect. So, you know, um... Peter Chris, oh well, it's different, but it's Peter. I mean, you know, my dad was telling me he was more jazzy and stuff, so it fitted. It, it, you know, is there any material that I would have tossed off a Kiss album? I mean, 
maybe I can't stop the rain as like that ballad for the album. But... Oh God, best song on the album by a freaking mile. I can't stop the rain is just perfection for me. Oh, it's it's, it's a great track. Um, you know the album's different. I've always like you mattered to me. It's definitely because I like that poppy. I grew up, you know, listening to all sorts of that music. So, um, not a Kiss album. Definitely a Peter Chris album. Um, I enjoy it. I've, I've got like six tracks that I always stay on my phone from the album, and I like Thompson and Turner. I thought that was really cool that he did that. Jay, what about you? Well, you know, I'm I'm not a I'm not a hater when it comes to the solo album. It was difficult for me. Uh, being a Kiss fan in the 70s to wrap my head around that album. But in retrospect, looking back at it, I actually really appreciate the fact that Peter did something completely different because really the whole idea, or at least that was, uh, I mean, that was my understanding. The whole idea of these solo albums was to do things that might not necessarily have been Kiss-worthy or, or whatever the case may be. The whole, to me, the whole idea behind the solo albums was to show another side of, of who you are musically. And, you know, Gene and Peter kind of get railed on a lot um, for their records because they are so far and away different uh, than Kiss records. But I think that was kind of the, the idea. So depending on how you look at it, I mean, if your expectation is, where's the Kiss songs? Well, put on a freaking Kiss record. You know, I mean, I kind of feel like those albums, uh, Peter's, album even though you know he only really probably gets a very small fraction of credit for songwriting and direction um but still i think it's you know i think it's pretty brave really um when you look back at it at the time i was kind of um detached and didn't really play it much but i think i can't stop the rain is a great song i actually think kiss the girl goodbye is a really well-written song uh, I like just about everything on that album to one degree or another. There's nothing there uh, aside from maybe I Can't Stop the Rain that blows me away. Uh, but I don't think there's anything on there that sucks except for maybe, maybe you matter to me. Sorry, Alex. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, apart from that, I think it's, I think it's actually it set out what it was supposed to do, which is make a statement outside of Kiss. So for that... I give it props. I don't have an issue with it. And if Tommy ever goes into the vaults, I would love, love, love to hear the Peter version in crystal clear quality of Spotlights and Lonely Nights. Oh, oh yeah. my God. When you listen to... Um, oh, yeah. I mean, just the emotion. And he's not that great of a singer, but the emotion that he packs into that song. I mean, Peter's voice on there. Yeah, that's probably the best outtake from all the solo albums for me. Lonnie, what about you in 78, Peter? I guess my first exposure exposure to Peter's '78 solo album came when I bought a bootleg copy of the Largo show, and I, you know he sings tossing and turning on that show. So I probably I think I got the uh, Largo bootleg before I even bought Peter's solo album as a kid, and uh, so when I went and so I went and bought Peter's solo album, just collecting the Kiss albums over the years when I was a kid, and. It didn't do a whole lot for me, obviously, when I first listened to it. It wasn't... None of the solo albums did a whole lot for me. No, I can't say none of the solo albums. Gene and Peters didn't do a whole lot for me as a kid listening to them, because it's not what I was expecting. And if, you know, I guess if I was a kid in 78, I wanted a Gene album that would have been just 10 God of Thunders or something like that. 
And for Peter's album, like Jason, it was very, it was very brave what he did. Um, and it expressed his personality that wouldn't and couldn't be expressed on a Kiss album. And as a kid, I didn't really care for it. But as I go back and listen to it as an adult, um, I have a better appreciation for it. And you can see Peter's personality reflecting out as we've gotten to know, as I've gotten to know who Peter Chris is better over the years. And I can't disagree with you guys at all that I Can't Stop the Rain is just magnificent. It's one of one of the maybe one of the best songs off of all the solo records and um it's you know it's just one it's just an album that, that to me has just grown grown on me with time um because i think when i first bought it i'd sent to it once or twice and it's like this is not well i gotta save my money to go buy another kiss album because this, this is what i'm looking for <laughs> but but now as i listen to it you know i i have a better appreciation for it when i first became a fan i couldn't find this album in stores in Binghamton, I ended up having to trade something like Metallica's Master of Puppets and a couple of other albums for it. And I got an original 78 paper label copy of it. I remember having my Walkman with me at school. I put it in, enthusiastic. What the hell is this? <laughs> it was just, I, I couldn't believe that sort of music. Um, I've, I've pontificated or waxed lyrical about I Can't Stop the Rain. But I want to ask each of you, Tossing and Turning, performed live on the Dynasty Tour. Was that the right song from Peter's album to perform live? What would you have picked? Alex? Oh, uh, um, <laughs> I got to look at the jacket real quick. Um, I would have done like Cooked on Rock and Roll, you know, or That's the Kind of Sugar Papa Like. Um, I, I really... Um, it's also a tournament for like the novelty act of it. it. It's cool. I mean, I think I remember like um, I think it was Tim Mills on a podcast made fun of the kind of poke fun of. Cause I think he saw I think he saw one of the early Dynasty shows and he was there, and he said like it, it was weird for him with them going doing a do 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 do. And so like that was kind of that was kind of weird. I mean, you know, now you know you can look back and, and go like eh, it's kind of cool, but I think like hooked on rock and roll and that's the kind of sugar pop or like could have definitely. Had a cool life vibe to it if he's done it right. Lonnie, what about you? Hooked on rock and roll, I think would have worked so much better than tossing and turning. And and I, for the life of me, I can't figure out why they chose. So let's let's do the cover song that's on Peter's solo album for the song that we do live on the tour. For well, the, real quick, we, that means you had three cover songs on the Dynasty tour because you had exactly. Thousand Man, New yep. York Groove, and Tossing and Turning. Exactly. You, you tripped me, and don't get me wrong, I don't have a problem at all with them playing New York Groove, and I think that song obviously just works fantastic live. But you're playing three cover songs on that tour then. You have four, actually. You got King of the Nighttime World. Oh! <laughs> Man, yeah. that's again. Now we're going to get crapped this week, Lonnie, for not knowing our facts. <laughs> burns us again. Just because I, I got this really old uh, copy of uh, Sports Arena in today to see if it was better quality. So that, that was right on my mind as I just listened to that right before the show. Jay, what about you? What should have been performed live from it? Um, I mean, I agree. I think Hooked on Rock and Roll would have been a good one. I think that uh, That's the Kind of Sugar Papa Likes would have been a good one. And maybe even uh, I'm Gonna Love You. I mean, maybe, maybe one of those three, um, just as far as their adaptability to the Kiss sound. Uh, yeah, I don't think anything else would work. I mean, as much as it would have been awesome to have Peter come out and do I Can't Stop the Rain, and as much as I love Kiss, that song 
really, I don't think Kiss could have ever delivered on that song live unless it was pre-recorded in the same fashion that Beth was. But that's a long song, so that's a lot of time to sit there on a stool and throw roses. So, yeah, yeah I'd have to agree with, with, with the rest of the guys. I think Hooked on Rock, rock and Roll probably would have been the best. I agree. You know, it's at least got Rock and Roll in the title, and I, I think the, the rest of the band could have at least performed it. So, you know, there I we go. Say, I will say Kiss could have had the opportunity to have done I Can't Stop the Rain in 2003 at Kiss Symphony, but they didn't. They weren't gonna do that though. Come on! Oh, heck no! I still love like that uh that big uh the big Australian guy with the Gene Simmons solo album T-shirt. He's like, like if they don't do Dirty Liver, I'm gonna scream bloody murder. <laughs> <laughs> kiss, kiss fans, you gotta love us. And I don't think they would ever have done that kind of sugar papa likes to their kitty audience in 1979. Gene would have been in no. What that suggests, forget it. All right, so 1980, he's out of the band. August of that year, Out of Control is uh, released. And this is one of my... I, I don't know if it's a guilty pleasure to like this album because I find it just to be an incredibly well-recorded, balanced, written, and produced album. So um, I'm not going to call it perfection uh, because obviously... It, it didn't do a thing. It, it was buried. I thought by myself as a single choice from that was pretty poor. And if you think of who had a hit with uh, You Better Run right around the same time, um, Peter kind of missed uh, woulda, coulda, shoulda with that. Um, what do you guys think about it? Jay, let's start with you. I agree with you 100%. I think that uh, Out of Control, again, is kind of a left turn, maybe from what KISS fans were expecting. Uh, but at the same time, it's Peter making a statement. I thought David Wolpert did a really good job maintaining quality control and giving the album some continuity. Uh, because as good as, you know, or bad, depending on your, your preference, uh, the 78 solo album was, there was still, it was a little hodgepodgey. You know, you had like a horn section in one song, and then you had like this big, grandiose, almost cabaret-style ballad. And, you know, it was kind of all over the map. Whereas... Uh, out of control is more distilled, Peter Chris. You know, everything is, there's a little more continuity there. And I think the songwriting uh, is better. I think the, like you said, the studio quality of the recording is, is really well done. It's really a shame the album didn't get an opportunity to uh, get the kind of backing that it deserved. I don't think it would have catapulted Peter Chris into the stratosphere of stardom, but it certainly would have maybe aided him in doing something better later you know well let me rock you just basically like you know i mean nobody saw it um so i, I actually think the album's really good i think uh for me feels like letting i feel like letting go that by far is to me the standout track it's almost comparable in some ways to i can't stop the rain as far as that it's uh it's got a lot of great atmosphere it's very chill and peter's vocals on that are probably my favorite on the album and when you consider uh, how drug-addled Peter Chris was at this point. Um, you know, it's it's actually pretty impressive that they were able to get good performances out of him vocally. Now, I don't know about his drumming on that record because I know there are a number of session players that also played, so who knows what he played. But as far as vocals are concerned, for the most part, I think it's some of Peter's best vocals. And it's so consistent from start to finish. That, I mean, that, that really yep. is the key. I mean, uh, David Wolfer gets a whole bunch of songwriting uh, co-credits on that. But, you know, if he 
you know, really narrowed the focus of these songs down and, you know, nailed the arrangements. You know, it's it's just a great album. Alex, what about you? Um, I like um, Out of Control and I Know Something Better. I know the kind of like the two standards for me. Um, you know, I never heard much of the album until um, actually pretty recently. I mean, I've heard it before, like, they have it on YouTube. But they actually have that one and Let Me Rock You both on Spotify. Um, so I've, like, I've listened to them. Um, again, like, there was just no promotion. I think even Peter mentioned on his album and his biography, too, the lack of, um, when it came out, it just kind of was there and gone, so. Yeah, and by then, Casablanca had its own issues as well, so there were, there were a ton of bands. I mean, read, uh, Larry Harris's book. I mean, they were just pumping out material and just, just record and release and forget about it. I mean, Eric Carr's lightning album falls into that category. It was just here, put an album out for the sake of putting an album out. So Lonnie, what about you? I think the album makes a a great statement from start to finish with starting off with by myself, you know, really just telling the story about where he's at in life at the time and out of control. There's nothing better. There's some, really good demos of, of There's Something Better and Out of Control that I like even better than what's on the album. I think they're, they're a little heavier and a little, little ballsier. Um, but it's probably, of his solo material outside of 78, um, it's probably the album that I probably listen to the most. Um, I, think, I think it's the best best songwriting on it and, and the best vocals on it. I, I wonder how much Peter actually remembers of this recording process because of his... Um, um, demon. <laughs> yeah, there's demons at the time. I kind of probably about as much as Black Sabbath remembers recording Heaven and Hell. They said they have no recollection of that. Except but, Heaven and Hell is a pretty good album. Yeah, exactly. But, but I think, but I think, I think I bet Peter has very little rec- recollection of recording the album. But I think I think it's it's probably my favorite outside of '78. Like I said, and I think the whole album just just makes a statement. And it's really a shame that it really just became white noise and just and just fell on it just fell to nothing as quickly as it did because you know I, I think I think it's I think it's a fine album I don't I don't think it's great but I think it could have been the start of something for Peter as opposed to just just his solo career just tanking afterwards and, and falling into basically nothing for the yeah for you know it's. Decade. It's weird though because you know I remember when I remember just before this uh, before Out of Control came out I actually remember reading a lot of press I remember hearing a lot about uh, news pertaining to the release date I even remember America's Top Forty Casey Kasem did uh, like actually took time out of his program to put a little picture of the Out of Control record and talk about when it was coming out and that Deborah Svensk was the was the sort of the model on the cover of the record. And so, you know, there was a little bit of buildup, some steam there early on. I just think that once the record came out, that's kind of when they just shut the gates and sort of let it let it sink on its own. But, you know, he had the Tom Snyder appearance. He had a couple of news uh, appearances out, out of makeup. And there was some buildup there. I just, I just don't know what happened after. It's yeah, really it's, it's a shame they didn't put the Tom Snyder on Kissology and instead did that CNN uh, little piece. 
the, the album cover, the art's great. I love it. Um, this is another one I picked up in Singapore when I was living there. Found it on cassette, and I played and played and played that tape. I, I just couldn't believe how much I was really digging that material. You better run, which I didn't know anything about it being a cover. I thought it was just an awesome song. Where will they run? In trouble again. Great, great album. Very consistent all the way through. And I agree with the comments though about there's nothing better than Out of Control. The Dynasty demos are way better. But we've got. I mean, we're lucky nowadays. We've got the fully produced demo reel from that. So in crystal clear quality. Um, which I think sonically sounds better than the production on this. Um, out of control. Um, there's a couple of outtakes from this as well. Uh, could it be love? And you could be mine, which is terrible. Um, yeah. But could it be love is the same quality. I'm going to play a few seconds of that. to that one incidentally sounds a lot like some of the uh bumper music that uh the uh, sid and marty croft used to use for some of their <laughs> variety shows like uh bigfoot and wild boy and uh electric woman and dina girl so uh check that check the theme songs from those to get some point of reference because there's a lot of similarities there but that's certainly better than this Oh, that's all I can handle of that. <laughs> yeah, that that's the other one. So, I mean, the interesting thing about Out of Control is apparently Stan and Peter were fighting with David about the mixes, and they would sneak down at night and remix the album to their liking. So you get the release version, and out there is, I think, eight of the songs, their version of the mixes. So collectors, again head over to YouTube and find some of the alternate mixes of this stuff. There's demos of both of those outtakes as well as the fully produced versions. Um, it's a pretty wild album. <laughs> and I, I, I can't think of anything else to say about Out of Control. <laughs> I think we've covered the bases. So now we'll move into a commercial.
Actually, they're not paying me to advertise, so. Uh... <laughs> I'm a St. Louis guy, I'm a Budweiser guy, so I love it. Good to you. So that is, of course, cat piss. Uh, I'm sorry, that is the Budweiser, <laughs> the Budweiser commercial back in the early '80s. Uh, for anyone that, who, who's not aware. Just about everyone on their dog was recording the Budweiser theme. There's a great one of Ronnie James Dio doing it. No um, way. I have not it's heard no that. Paul Stanley Folgers commercial, though. Yeah, it, it's, it's <laughs> 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 yeah, Ronnie does it. Um, I picked up a couple of reels um, that had this, obviously. Um, it had a short version, a 30-second and a 60-second. Uh, it had the Bus Boys, and there was a Leon Redbone uh, one as well, which I... I no longer have that's out there. So there's there's a whole ton of artists who did that. So that kind of just is a segue in between Out of Control into Let Me Rock You. Uh, let Me Rock You, guys. Jay? Not a fan at all. I mean, you know, definitely not a, a, a good follow-up. I think it's very reflective of what was going on in Peter's career as a whole. Uh, around that time, totally neglected, only got a European release. Um, the songs, I think, suck. Honestly, I think it's probably the worst Peter Chris related release that I can think of. I hear a lot of, you know, I hear a lot of Peter fans kind of cite that uh, as, as his strongest, and I, I just don't see it. I, I don't, you know, aside from Tears, which is an amazing song. Um, Vinny. Yeah, Vinny. Uh, you know, aside from Tears, man, I mean, the rest of it, I think, is terrible. I think Destiny, horrible. One of the worst songs on the album. But I, I would say, you know, I mean, it's got doo-wop in it, for God's sake. I mean, Let Me Rock You, the, the, the title track, is just abominable. I think it's horrible. And it's really a shame, uh, because you would think having this star-studded cast of players on that record that uh, there would have been better writing to go along with it, but it's just a hodgepodge mess. And I can understand why the U.S. never saw that release at, at the time. So I, th I think they got the titles of the album's ass backwards. Out of Control should have been called Let Me Rock You, and Let Me Rock You should have been called Out of Control. So, uh, Out of it, good songs. Yeah, it, it, if, you, if you go by the, the material and kind of how it all works, I, I will say Some Kind of Hurricane and Feel Like Heaven are kind of standout tracks for me on the album. Obviously, Gene Simmons wrote Feel Like Heaven, um, and that was one of the first songs recorded for The Elder. Well, before, they, the, before they went off on that tangent anyway. What Alex? What does it feel like Kevin kind of recycle with Urban Animal, too? Totally. Gene took his lyrics back and... Gene's good at that. Yeah, recycled them for Kiss on Sonic Boom as I'm the Animal, or whatever the... I'm an Animal. I have to agree. I think the only uh, the only saving grace off the album was Tears. Uh, again, another ex-member of Kiss uh, song um, done by another ex-member of Kiss. I don't know how that one got to Peter, but um, he did a great job on that track. I just wish there would have been nine more other Tears. <laughs> yeah, and here we here we go again. We I, I said it with the, with Out of Control. You better run was a hit for Pat Benatar. Tears was a hit for John Waite. So. Two strikes, Peter. Lonnie. It's bad. I mean, let's 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 be honest. It's just a bad record. It, you know, I said that Peter's '78 solo album. I didn't like it at first, but it grew on me. You know, I didn't like this when I first heard it, and I don't like it now. It's yeah. it's just 
a bad record. It's a mess. And like Jay said, I, I think it's just a, it, it's a, it's a, a window or a picture of what was going on with Peter Chris at the time that he was as bad as the album was. Peter Chris himself was falling apart at the time too. And I think the record company did the citizens of the United States a favor by not releasing it. The US <laughs> and not subjecting us to it. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, mean I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, that's, that, I think that sums it up. <laughs> Yeah, if anybody hasn't heard it and you want to save yourself the $7.99 on iTunes, just go get Spotify and you can listen to it for free and see Save what we're talking time. about. <laughs> and yet the, the, the CDs sell for a ton of money now on eBay, which is, is really weird. Let me rock you. I got it at the same time as Out of Control. I got to say, I I do like it. Let, let It Go is, I think, a good song. There are moments on this album that are decent. Um... First Day in the Rain makes me want to vomit. Um, Peter Chris covering John Lennon, I'm sorry, makes me want to vomit. Uh, Tears, I think he does okay, but I gotta say, I do prefer Vinny's demo for that song. I think that's Vinny's song, and he kills it, um, whereas Peter kind of kills it the wrong way. Move, Move On Over doesn't do a whole lot, so th- there's a couple of cool outtakes from this album as well. I mean, uh, Jim Roberge wrote Bad Boys. There's a, I think, a demo of that that is not really a demo. It's just a screwed up copy from someone's tape. Um, but here's a little bit of a song that didn't make it called Rock and Roll Survivor. Okay, so that's a bit hodgepodgey, like the rest of the album. So, um, I will, I will say, I remember hearing a demo of, um, is it pronounced Jenny, Jenny Lee? Jenny Lee, his daughter. That was that was a pretty okay. I, I don't mind that as a demo. I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, you know, if if the Barry Manilow demographic was <laughs> was the plan, that song would have been perfect. And I don't mean that hatefully. I'm not a fan of Barry. I mean, this song actually is pretty well written, and it, you know. But I think it had it been on the record, I don't know. Maybe 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 would have been okay. But, but yeah, it's not a bad song. And actually, Peter's uh, vocals on on those two versions of that demo that I've heard are, are pretty decent. You know, especially when you compare it to everything else on Levy Rocky, because his voice just sounds tired. You know, he sounds tired. He sounds half in it. It's uh, very disconnected from Peter. As a person, at least, I don't get his persona, not not necessarily as the cat man, but I just, I don't hear Peter Chris in those songs. It's almost like someone handed him a karaoke disc and said, we're going to record you singing over this music. There's just, there's no cohesiveness to the sound on that album. So if I recall correctly, Tears was the single issued in Australia, Japan, and most of Europe back to the, I think, Jealous Guy from this album. So it was released everywhere, basically, except North America. Um, I think Mexico got it as well. So um, here's a little bit of Jenny Lee, the guitar version.
So obviously his daughter had been born around the time. I think she was born in 1981. Uh, so, you know, whatever. A couple, a piano version and a guitar version of that song. But it has potential. I think that had a little bit of potential. Maybe a good producer could have made that, you know, into something a little more. I think. I think. I think it was okay. Or it's a song that's just for her. That could be too. You know. All right, let's get out of the, uh, I guess, the, the yeah. early Peter Chris solo error, or errors, um, and move into the the dangerous, or the desperate men who became the Alliance. And that is Peter reunited with uh, Stan Penridge for a while in 83, 84. And I don't have any of these queued up. There are two bunches of demos, uh, seven songs in total. Um on the drive I'm using right now, I don't have the early set of Telltale, Valentine, Run for Cover, Time of Our Lives, and Blame It on Love, but since um, they're not that good, to be honest, uh, you can head on over to uh, to uh, YouTube to listen to those. I do have a bit of one that I actually, I'm, I'll put it as a guilty pleasure, I do like Baby Hold On from the later set um that have circulated for more years. So here's a little bit of Baby Hold On for those who haven't heard it. Gonna be the same Tell me that nothing Gonna achieve So honey, believe me Oh, take this one last chance Find it's really To So that, was, that, that the, was that the dude? Was that the dude from the Daisy? Did he like roll into the studio <laughs> sessions? <laughs> that was hilarious. Oh, that one came out of nowhere. So that that's a guilty that? that's a guilty pleasure. I actually love that song. Um, I think Peter, Peter's only the vocalist in the Alliance, um, which is he's got Stan Penridge, Alan Woody, Benny Harrison, uh, and Tony Mercadante you know, with him on that. So that's some pretty serious session players. Jay, let's get this off your chest here. You know, <laughs> rip, still, rip it, rip it apart. From that sort of ambush vocal line at the end of that clip. That was just hysterical. Uh, I mean, you know, it sounds very dated, but again, everything from that era for the most parts is very much of its time, at least on a, on an audible level. But uh, I'm not a, I'm not a real fan. You know, I think this kind of period of, of Peter's activity uh, shows a certain level of desperation that seems very uncharacteristic of what I think Peter was, where his head was even at musically. I think he was just kind of trying to jump on whatever train was going to take him back to, to the arenas. And so there's kind of a half-heartedness in a lot of these things in the 80s and even early 90s that... I have a hard time really loving, but yeah, not a big fan of Alliance. Alex. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's forgettable music. I mean, there was, 
there was no I some I had some of the demos you were talking about the um the run for cover telltale telltale Valentine stuff and it just I mean it just wasn't anything that I think was gonna get it back on the on the on its feet kind of a thing again. I mean sorry Peter, like <laughs> Peter, I love you too. you're a great drummer and stuff. You know, you were going through a rough time and it's cool. I you do. Don't don't it is what it is. Now he toured with the Alliance in this period, so they they were performing. I I would expect maybe some of this stuff, maybe some covers. I've never heard any Alliance bootlegs circulate out there. I know there's a 1984 show um, at the Cherrycroft in Newton, New Jersey, that circulates, and that's the only early '80s Peter Chris solo show, and that's just mainly. 50s and 60s covers i mean i'd love to know what they were actually performing in their set since this is their studio stuff whether they did any of this stuff live or whatever what do you think of it lonnie you know i i I gotta disagree with you jay i don't think it was him trying to get back into playing arenas i think it was him just trying to get back into playing a high school gymnasium at the time because he wasn't playing anywhere and you know i i julian i don't know i don't know what what their set list was or I don't, I don't know how many shows they played together with the Alliance, but I, I, I think he was desperate. I think he was willing to do anything to to play a gig and to prove that he wasn't living under a bridge, even though that story hadn't come out yet, I guess, at the time. But um, I think he was looking to do anything to get his name out there, that, that, that there is a Peter Chris that he still exists. And I think he was he was pretty much at the end of his, his basically the what else can I do to to prove that I can do it without Gene and Paul? Yeah, I've just looked up that Cherrycroft set, and that I mean, they did all covers: Mustang Sally, La Bamba, Rebel Rouser, Young Blood, Pretty Woman, Money Money, Johnny Be Good, Kansas City, Rollover, and Beethoven. Oh God, tossing and turning, Blue Suede Shoes, <laughs> uh, a couple of songs I didn't know what they were, and Tutti Frutti. So it's all out of the fifties and early sixties, which would have been Peter's era. Um, and stands for that matter. So um, the alliance, I, I guess it, you know, maybe is fortunate that it didn't go far. Um, but he and uh, Stan fell out um, for one reason or another, and he moves on, and he hooks up with a band called Jane, who renamed themselves Balls of Fire. Have you guys? thoughts on balls of fire other than i remember i remember seeing uh, now we're into when i'd been been a fan and i see pictures of peter chris and hip parader um wearing some michael jackson type jackets um and it, it took a few years for me to hear the music and well jay jay we lost your voice oh there we go Sorry. there you are I think uh, I think you know there there may have been potential there. I'm not particularly crazy about the songs. Um, again, I think it's one of those things where um, it was just a slow climb trying to get people to notice him. Um, obviously, that band was not built around Peter in its at least in its original incarnation. But uh, I think they capitalized on his involvement once he joined. I do remember seeing some things in Hip Parader about that band shortly after Peter joined. Um, and, you know, when you look at the pictures of some of the promo shots of them, I mean, they look like a legit band of that era, and they seem to have a little bit of muscle as far as getting shows and whatnot. 
Uh, so there may have been potential there, but I, I'm not particularly fond of anything that I've that I've heard, and I've heard very little. Yeah, Jane was supposed to be the star of that band. I mean, there's there's a couple of songs. Um, I think there's three shows that were recorded in '86: uh, the Whiskey, the Palomino, and I never remember what the third one was. But th- they come under so many different names that you're out there. Lonnie, have you heard them? Um, I've heard them, and it's just. It's just not my thing at all. I think I've seen the picture of Peter Chris in the Michael Jackson type of jacket, and I think you can take a poll. You could you could do one of your polls on the FAQ, which I know you guys are such a big fan. You're such a big fan of all the polls that go on. But God, shoot, <laughs> shoot me now, please. <laughs> you know who looks more ridiculous, Gene in the Asylum area or, or Peter Chris in the Michael Jackson type of jacket? Oh, I, I thought it was going to be who's better, Balls of Fire or the Who. <laughs> So I mean, you look at some of the pictures. What are you trying to say about the polls? (laughs) Some polls need to be euthanized. Um, But you you look at Peter in some of these pictures. I mean, he's got his salt and pepper hair going, and you know the rest of them look so. It looks like someone's dad stepped into frame. Ridiculous. So ridiculous. I mean, the one positive is they did feel like having live. and if you listen to these live recordings, there's one where someone's, you know, shouting out kiss songs. And apparently Peter's getting really frustrated. You can hear him start cursing and swearing behind the no. kit. He, he's he's go- getting upset. He's going That's nutso scary. because, you know, the fans are there thinking he's, it's going to be a kiss cover show. Um, which I guess means it didn't have a chance. If you head over to the FAQ or even search the internet, um, there are some great photos of this band. And Peter's outfits... You know, it's mid-80s, it's California, it's dangerous, some of what he was wearing, um, and it, it's very spinal tap, some of the photos from this era. Yeah. Alex? You know, I'll just, I'll, I'll read a line from this great book, uh, page 237. <laughs> the guys from Atlantic walked out, and that was the end of all the fire. <laughs> <laughs> It, it seemed one one, epi- one issue of Hit Parader, here, Peter Chris has joined a new band. The next episode, Peter Chris has left the band. You know, I, I will give a, a, a funny Alex story. I remember being six, nine, and my friend Thomas and my neighbor, they had the Alive 3, and they had that family tree chart. Mind you, we were nine, and we just saw the balls of fire on being little kids. <laughs> it's just balls. <laughs> <laughs> That's about as far as it goes to be a ball to fire. <laughs> so this this takes us through the end of uh, um, end of '86, and then oh wow, I'm, I'm actually reading along to one of my book manuscripts. So '86, uh, he does some work in the studio with Gene Simmons and Tommy Thayer, "Best in the West" off a of Black and Blue album. So that's nice. Next. Then he goes and does a little bit of work in the studio with King Cobra, doing some background vocals off Take It Off. Next. I think 80... In his book, he says 89, he got with Mark St. John. Well, before that, he shows up in a Kerrang! article in 87, 88, I think, or um, that he says he's writing with Vinnie Vincent. So, obviously never... Nothing that we know of ever came of that, which would have been really interesting. So he went for the next Kiss guitarist, Mark St. John. 
and invariably it's been called the tree or the keep. Um, so I guess besides Paul and Gene, I guess that makes uh, Peter Chris the next member to have performed as every member of Kiss. Then he's had all those connections. <laughs> yeah. Benny, Mark, Evie Unplugged, Tommy. So I guess we're we're into the Kiss era, into the Chris era, you know, because Mark St. John is prototypical of that era. Um, what did you guys think of? And let, let's try and start with the keep and Mark St. John is the guitarist um, as much as possible. But basically, Peter replaces the drummer in White Tiger. It's the same vocalist, it's the same bassist, same guitarist, and Peter. And they start putting together some pretty heavy metal. What did you guys think of that early stuff? I mean, Love for Sale, one of the first songs, uh, Between the Lines. Do you know what I mean? Which is another one of my all-time favorites. But uh, Jay looks ready to fall over. Jay. <laughs> well, well, I'm just I'm not a fan of Mark's playing. Um, you know, I'm not even a fan of his playing on Animalize. So, um, you know, I think the singer on the I guess that would be yeah the keep. Uh, some of the recordings there, dude, sounds just like a heavy metal. Harry Carey. He really does. He's just, uh, his vocals are really overwrought, uh, way too forced. I think the songs really just don't have any kind of, there's nothing, there's no hooks there. I think maybe Bad People Burn in Hell, uh, which I don't know, is that, uh, is that the keep or is that? That's Chris. That comes later. That's, that's yeah, Phil Naro. I know he did, he did demos with maybe Phil Naro and they did an early version of that song. So maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit but yeah i'm not a fan of the keep at all i just thought that it was way too over the t way too obvious i don't know it just it sounded very contrived not a fan i'm trying i'm trying to cue up a song here um but the vocalist michael mcdonald was david donato i believe just with a different name makes me think of jim gillette nitro i mean do you guys remember oh, yeah the the histrionics and over the top mm -hmm. um scorching operatic um let's queue up between the lines i think might be a good one just to chuck in here i don't know what the sound quality is we'll find out By the way, I think the White Tiger album sucks, and <laughs> that's not much better. But that being, I didn't, I didn't mind the single off the White Tiger. Um, yeah, the single's alright. It's like a remix of it. Other than yeah. Oh, the Michael Wagner remix. Yeah, Rock Warrior. That's not bad. I don't mind that song. It's the only song on that album that I can stand. Yeah. But I'm gonna get to play my favorite, which is Do You Know What I Mean which is a Lee Michaels cover, um, which I just love that. So I like the original version too, but I like the rocked out one. Okay, I like it. I don't care what anyone else thinks. 
he's going in a better direction than what he was a couple of years prior to that, though. I mean, at least he's back into more of a, a rock and a metal type of, of sound as opposed to just farting around with all the other 60s and 50s doo-wop type sounds. And at least he's trying to connect to his fans and what his and what Kiss fans of the 70s were probably listening to at that point um, in time. I think I, I think he was at least on. I think he's in a good direction. It, maybe it was a misguided direction. But I think he was on the right path. But was it honest? Is that Peter Chris's music? No, 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 it's not honest. Or is it totally trying to shoehorn Peter Chris's name and voice into something that might resonate with a record buying uh, buying public? That's exactly what he's doing. That's That's exactly what he's doing. But I don't know. I I can connect. I can connect with that more than I can connect with the other stuff he's fooling around with. So after Mark St. John, I mean, that didn't last long. Uh, There's a great interview with Mark um, over at the Kiss Asylum that was done years ago that explains all the challenges that happened to that band um, and, you know, some of the issues that led to the breakup. But immediately after that, it basically becomes Chris. Um, And that is Peter. He hooks his first vocalist was Phil Narrow, who's Canadian. A great songwriter, a great melodic sense, and I, I think he really helps the material um, in in that it, it's it's much more focused. It takes a little bit away from the angry bumblebee guitar and starts actually having songs behind it. What do you guys think of the early Chris stuff? And that gets into you know Blue Moon, Bad People, uh, Wait for the Minute to Rock, Wait for the Minute to Rock and Roll. You know, it's just good time rock and roll to me. Yeah, I like bad people burn in hell. It's not, you know, and I saw Peter on, I guess it was late 95 before I, I saw the Bad Boys tour and he was, he was doing a lot of songs off, um, off of Chris and off that EP and the album itself. And he did bad people burn in hell that night. And, you know, I, I, I dug it and it felt, it felt honest and it felt like, like Peter Chris and didn't feel forced like the other stuff did. Um, you know, I, I feel like, but at the same time, like I was saying, I think it pushed him into the direction that that the Chris album ended up being with with Blue Moon over Brooklyn, and that and that I think Blue Moon over Brooklyn is a really honest Peter Chris song. You know, he, it's about his um, it's about his, isn't it about his mom dying. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, um, you know, and, and it's a real very honest Peter Chris song, and it's heartfelt, and I think it's Peter kind of finally after fooling around with two solo albums and then jumping from band to band to band that he's kind of got his feet on the ground and in a direction and he actually you know eventually gets a tour with Ace Frehley you know after that album finally comes out and I think Peter's finally after I guess it was like 14 years of being out of Kiss has has found himself as a solo artist Jay yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, like you mentioned, um, the the Phil Narrow stuff, actually, it's not too bad. Phil's definitely a better singer. I think the songs maybe sound uh, a little more genuine uh, than they did with The Keep. And I think the early version of Bad People Burning Hell is, is actually pretty cool. Um, and I, I actually like uh, No, I'm Not Afraid, uh, just because Brilliant. it's so very different uh, from anything else from that those sessions that we've heard. And uh, there's some, there's definitely some creativity happening there, and I definitely think that it helped pave the way uh, for some of the songs that would end up showing up on the first uh, Cat EP. 
Yeah, I can't remember if it actually did happen, but I thought on Mitch's A World with Heroes uh, iTunes version that they actually released the uh, the demos for Wait for the Minute to Rock and Roll um, as a bonus track. So I'm going to play a little bit of that as it was the band's closing song. Phil had already gone by the time the band started performing live. That was, uh, that was uh, I can't remember his name. God. Um, well, here's a little bit of Wait for the Minute. And since you mentioned it, No, I'm Not Afraid, which is also Phil Maro on vocals, a little bit of that. So, as I've said for everything, better sounding quality versions of these, uh, since I'm playing these on my laptop into my external microphone, um, are available on YouTube. But Phil Narrow, great songwriter, great vocalist. I, I think he really brought an edge to Peter's material, um, or at least to the band, not necessarily Peter's material. Um, but it was more melodic, less Bumblebee-ish. Um, and then we get into the Cat EP. Uh, or the Chris EP, which had the cat, uh, What You Doing, and a few of the songs that really, Peter's metal pedal, Peter by then. Alex, what did you think of Chris? You know, um, the stuff that was released, I guess. Um, you know, I actually, I remember picking up the cat uh, number one. I was at a used record shop, and uh, I paid like six bucks for it. And um, I like, like, Bad Attitude, um, Blue Moon Over Blue excellent track um there's really that potential to make uh with peter to have a good rock album and i will say um, i love that acoustic version of best that he did on uh, the cat number one ep that was pretty cool but um yeah i like that attitude and uh, blue moon over brooklyn i love the um you can feel the emotion in the song i think that's what made that song a great track yeah um, the cat number one really good song lonnie yeah, I like that too. I think I was skipping ahead a little bit the last time I talked to this. But I, I really like that album. Um, um, a whole lot. I think uh, Show Me, it ended up on the, on the full length. It's a good song too. And I got it over here. What else is on there? Do you ever see the video yeah. to Show Me? No, I don't yep. think I have, no. You're going to tell me to go do homework again. <laughs> no, we don't do homework here. We go to YouTube. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Mike. No, Sorry, Mike. Like, like the the truth and and um and strike even. I think they're they're decent songs, and I and I think Peter was kind of finding his direction and connecting with not only his fans but doing songs that he was comfortable doing that were rock at the same time. I mean, I I enjoy the album actually. All right. So after uh, anyone else got anything to say on Chris. Uh, we talking? We still talking about the EP, or are we talking about the full length? Full length. 
Yeah, actually, I think it's I think it's a decent album. You know, it's it's uh, really probably the closest thing to mainstream uh, exposure that Peter really got um, after the whole two failed solo albums in the eighties. So on on that level, it's just it was nice to hear Peter again. Uh, I actually remember doing an interview with him. I saw the ad for the EP before it had even been released, uh, either in like Spin or something. I don't know. Yeah, just, you could order it. You could like pre-order it on Hit Parade or something. Yeah, yeah. It was like a quarter-page ad, and I was like, "What?" Because I had not heard a word about it. I just stumbled across it. So as soon as I did, I started doing uh, some digging and managed to get a hold of. I think Carol Kay was his manager at that point, Ace's former manager or publicist rather, and. Uh, did an interview with him, and he really built it up uh, to be something great. I was a little let down when it when it did finally come out. I thought some of the songs were weak. I'm not a big fan of the truth. Uh, I think the, the the cat song from the EP that luckily did not make it to the the full length. I think it's a horrible song. I think the little swipe that Peter takes at Gene and Paul uh, came across bitter, not clever at all. And I thought it was kind of a juvenile attempt at trying to one up the guys. Um, but you know, I thought what you do, what you're doing off the EP was actually one of the better songs. And it's really a shame that it didn't wind up on the full length, but I saw him three times on tour that, uh, pushing the, the full length saw him in the toy tiger in Louisville and saw him twice in Indiana, I think Hammond and somewhere else. But, um, and they were actually really good live. I think Mike Stone's got a cool voice. Um, you know, I thought it was nice that they, that Peter and him traded off. So it wasn't the Peter Chris show. 100% of the time, showed a little more diversity in, in some of their songs. And I thought Blooming Over Brooklyn, for sure, was definitely one of the standout tracks on there. Um, and I remember him you know, saying in press releases how important that song was to him. So, it's cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good album. And I remember, you know, being surprised by how solid it was. I thought the band just worked together. I thought the vocalist was good. The stuff Peter sung was good. The stuff Mike sung was good. Good good guitar work. Um, solid album. So, you know, I was trying to find a song to play um, off one of the other Phil Narrow demos, So, but I can't find it. So, that wraps up Chris. Of course, they, they came to a shuddering halt in December 95 along with Ace's band when the reunion was announced. Peter Back and Kiss. I guess we only have one album really to talk about with him, and that's Psycho. And there's only one song to talk about. What do you think? I finally found my way to you. Huh? Alex? I love the alternate take version with the performance. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, it, it, was, it was cool to hear him singing the song again, you know. Uh, and he had a Kiss album. I was in 98. I was 9 when the album came out, so I, I didn't know the whole politics behind it, but it was cool to, that there was a new Kiss album and Peter was singing the song. So, Jay. like I said, um, like I said, the, uh, the the alternate take, which you can find now on YouTube and stuff. I thought the horns were pretty cool on that version of it. All right, Jay. Yeah, you know, I don't. I know the song is kind of widely reviled by most uh, Kiss fans. There's always heated debates about how the varying degrees of suckage on this song i don't i don't really have an issue with it i mean when you think about the context of psycho circus even though later you know we we discovered that it really wasn't truly a kiss album in the way that we were expecting 
uh, the fact that the whole album is kind of a rally cry and sort of the tip of the hat to the fans and back and this is what we believe and it's all these cheerleading songs of Paul's. Um, I thought the sentiment of I finally found my way uh, was very a very nice touch for the record. It was nice for an acknowledgement of the fans in a more personal setting rather than the Paul Stanley Pepsi commercial cheerleading kind of style <laughs> of, of songwriting. It was nice to hear, even though Peter obviously didn't write that song, but it was nice to have kind of an honest um, song on there that was maybe a little more intimate and a little more uh, thoughtful along with We Are One, which is not a huge favorite of mine, but again, I like the sentiment of it. I thought maybe it was more effective than some of the, some of the Paul cuts, lyrically at least. Um, so I don't, I don't take issue with it. I think the string arrangement on that song is great. I think aside from Peter's little off-key final note on I Finally Found My Way, which is, makes me cringe every time I hear it, I thought the, his vocals on that song were actually really good considering his age and how much time had passed since we had heard him singing a Kiss song. So I don't have an issue with it. Do you think that last note might have been on purpose? Emotion? Ooh, I don't know, man. I don't know. God, Lonnie? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a Paul Stanley song, let's be honest. And um, it was very predictable. I mean, you knew what was going to come. They weren't going to let Peter sing a song like Baby Driver on the album. It was going to be Peter singing a rock song. It was going to be Peter singing a ballad because they're going to try to recreate um, something from the past, like Destroyer, to have Peter sing a ballad on it. And, I mean, I knew that as soon as um, that they announced they were going to go into the studio. That's, that's Peter's going to get one song, and it's going to be a ballad, and this is what it's going to be. And Peter only plays drums on on one on one track on the whole album. Um, he's very very absent on the album. To be perfectly honest, and, you know, and he does sing on that horrible song. You wanted the best, you got the best. That's that awful. is dreadful, <laughs> utterly dreadful. <laughs> so, you know, it's to say it's Peter on a Kiss album is is a, is a far stretch because he didn't sing, he didn't write the one song that he sings on, and he only played drums on one track. And you know, into um, into the Void's a good song, and I, I, you can definitely hear that it's Peter Chris on that on that track and with. You listen to the other songs if there's a different there's a different feel to it um but it's fine but it's a paul stanley wrote song and we'll get into what he brought into psycho circus and you can see why it was a paul stanley song <laughs> and and that I'll, I'll say is one of the positives for me out of this song i hate it um <laughs> but having paul stanley do some harmonies with peter was something different so that, that's the only thing I can really say positive about the song. Um, I really don't like it. So um, I agree with Alex that some of the alternate versions that surfaced a couple years ago or last year, whenever, um, are a little bit more interesting. But number one, I don't think it's a very good Paul Stanley song. I think it's way too contrived. Paul Stanley and Bob Ezrin trying to write a song for Peter that sounds like Beth. And it just fails on so many different levels. Yet, as Lonnie said, when we talk about the material that Peter brought to the uh, sessions, <laughs> you can only talk about the one song we've heard, which is Hope. Um, so we're going to jump ahead a little bit to One for All. Now, should Hope have been on Psycho Circus, or was the correct call made? The right call was made, and I'll tell you, 
I hadn't listened to One for All in a while, and I knew we were going to do this. So on my way to work yesterday, I put in One for All, and I didn't make it all the way to work before I had to turn it off because I just couldn't. I couldn't take it. It's as much as I. <laughs> as much as I like, oh, let me rock you. One for All might be even worse. <laughs> it's awful. It's dire to you, but. Can you say something? Can you say one positive thing about it, other than the album femini- finishing? <laughs> well, I haven't listened to it from start to finish. I can't. <laughs> so, um, uh, I mean, it's, like, heartfelt. it's heartfelt, and you can tell Peter puts his heart and soul into it. You can you can tell Peter really, really wanted that album to be something special. Just by the way it starts off with um, his story about nine eleven. That it, it really came from Peter's Peter's heart, and he 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 really he talks about it in his book that he he was so disappointed that the album did not um, live up to his expectations because I, I really believe he he put his all into it, and I think that's why. And the album came out in two thousand seven, since so two thousand fifteen, and I and I think he was so disappointed in the album's the way it was received that he. As much as he talks about doing a rock album, I don't think he can get himself back in the studio. I think it really, I think it really hurt him how much that album just tanked and how much Kiss fans diss on it. Um, but to say something positive, I think Peter gave it his all. He he really did give it his all. On that. Yeah, he, he gave it his best. He shot. wears his heart on his sleeve all the time. I mean, can you see that the album cover is fantastic? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, what about his choice of covers then? Uh, he's got a bunch on here. Send in the clowns. Send in the clowns. Horrible. What a, What a difference a day makes, which is a classic. Um, Heart behind the hands, which I guess is technically a cover because it comes from a musical. Anything else on there? Um, any of those? Good choices. Bad choices. It, it's all bad. It's <laughs> it really is, you know. And I'll tell you what. <clears throat> when that album came out. I I felt horrible for not liking it because I wanted to like it so bad. I did too. Uh, I was I was more upset that I didn't like it. I've almost felt like a shitty fan for not liking it because usually I can make excuses for for some of a, my favorite band's lesser work, but that was an album that was just unforgivably bad. And really, honestly, I think the album could have been at least twice as good as it was which is not saying much but if there had been some quality control because there are tons of issues with pitch i mean it's it's almost like everything was done in one take and they said yep that's an album and just threw it on the shelves and and called it done it is so poorly executed and you would think with the kind of lineup they had musically to play these songs that it would have been like whoa, a whole different Peter Chris. I have so much more appreciation for his talents, but honestly, all that it did was reveal just how limited his talents were, or maybe not even talents. Maybe it's his uh, limited ability to see himself in an honest way. And you look at that and go, this is kind of shitty. We got to clean this up and do something with it. He seems so completely out of touch with what is considered I'd have to say it's probably one of the five worst albums I've ever heard in my entire life, and I can't say that about very many records. But yeah, it's it's absolutely abysmal. Alex, 
You know, my favorite thing about my copy of One for All was it was autographed. That's fine. I was so excited because I was like, the day after my 18th birthday. Um, there were a couple tracks. I, I like I liked the One for All track. Um, I didn't mind the, uh, I didn't mind the whole, it wasn't like the greatest song ever. The faces in the crowd, I I hate to think audience sound they did with it. I thought if, they could, if, if I could get a version without the audience sound, it'd be a decent track. Um, and I like Space Ace. I guess this was about Ace. I didn't realize it was negative at the time, but it was about Ace. Um, and then <laughs> another fun story. I went through a, I went through a breakup back in November, and I remember I was listening to Sin in the Clouds like on on like repeat and stuff as I was moping around for like the first few days and stuff, just because it fit the mood and stuff. But um. You know, I feel the passion that Peter has, and um, if that's really your style of music, like what a difference a day makes and stuff, then, you know, you've got something going on there. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's, like, terrible, but it's, it's I don't think it's what anybody expected when, when Peter went to go do, you know, his first solo album, Post Kiss, you know, three years after William Lee Kiss, I guess, at that point, four years. And the cover, I just, uh, the, the cover looks like, you know, he called up some high school kid and, and said, hey, can you go on Photoshop and, uh, or, or, or Microsoft Paint and, and make this? I think the back cover, I'm looking at, like, I'm looking at it right now on, on Kids FAQ. I think if you did, like, the, the back cover, the track listing one, if that had been a cover, it would have been a greater cover for the album. But yeah, I'm still trying to figure out the symbolism of the uh, biplane on the front cover because. Yeah, I, I I don't I don't want to get into the get into the design. When I listened to this album the first time, um, I didn't even get the electronic press kit or access to it, so I heard it when everyone else did. I had a flashback to 1987 and being in my school locker after receiving the 1978 solo album and putting it in my Walkman, <laughs> and I was like, "What the hell is this?" Um, I gave it a bunch of listens, and I got to agree that "Faces in the Crowd" as a song, as a sentiment. I get. That's probably the only song on there I get. Send in the Clowns, I always thought would be a great song for someone from the band to cover, but this isn't the one that works. Maybe Gene should have a shot at it. Um, what a Difference a Day Make is probably the only other song on there that does anything for me just because it's, you know, an important song. I get his story. Um, that goes along with it, that he remembers it being played around the house. So I get the connection with that. It's a, it's a classic. Um, but the rest of it does not work in any way. The out-of-key singing really bothers me. Um, and I feel bad for him that no one said, Peter, we need to do another take of this yeah. and play it back for him. Here, Here is where you're not hitting the note. It's not working. It, it's not coming across right. Because there's times in music that a wrong note does sound good. But it's not in every song on an album. Um, someone should have said, Peter, we got to recut this one. It's just yeah. it, it, the quality's not there. Um, he really needed a, a, third, a third point perspective on the album. Because okay. I think a lot of the stuff could have been a lot better, whether it was an arrangement or an execution, regar irregardless, actually, of it being an honest album. If this is all Peter on his own with, um, what was it, Charlie Kipps, you know, doing this, he still needed a, that extra perspective, and I think he would have done himself a better service 
to have listened to someone, you know, give him some honest criticism because I don't think he went out there wanting to put an album out that was going to have people essentially laughing at him. I, yeah. I, I don't think that's right. I don't think it's it's not unfair to laugh at it because it's holy shit. Someone of his stature has put out an album that really does not have the quality. Um, but it had it, 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 the album had hope. So he, he should have had a producer. I mean, I'm looking. It says it's produced by him, but you know, I mean, a producer. I was reading a book, and the guy used this analogy: a producer like a dentist. You know, that they'll either pull something out, drill it, or fill it, or if at best polish it. And, and the fact that it's like it's the patient there doing his own dental work on himself. You're not going to want to pull your own teeth out, so you leave it in there itself. And he should have had at least a producer, somebody to go to, like yeah. you said, and just give that outside perspective and go, "Hey, why don't we?" We do this real quick. Let's just, let's do it one more time. And it should and it shouldn't have been created by email. I mean, Mike uh, Angel did an interview with us when the album came out about you know emailing things back and forth. No, the, there are times that you really got to have all your musicians in the same room so that you can see each other's faces, so that you can emotionally connect with the stuff that you're trying to record before you necessarily go in and record it separately. You gotta have a basis rather than piecemealing things together and trying to shoehorn all these different track all these tracks into one song. So you know but at the same time it's Peter Crescent. He's not gonna deal well with people telling him, Hey, this isn't good, you're gonna have to do better than that. Well, this is my solo album, I'll fire you. I totally you know, agree with it, that. It's it's Peter Crescent. He's not gonna he, he doesn't deal well with, with criticism. So bring a lot of Christmas trees for him to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I agree with what you're saying, though, because I do, you know, I mean, obviously none of us were there, uh, but I would imagine if you were fly on the wall, I think maybe the reason for the lack of, of um, quality control yeah. wasn't, the, wasn't the ineptness of the people there in the studio. With you had a bunch of yes men around. was Peter probably insisting that this is my, you know, my, and especially after leaving Kiss the second time, now he even probably feels like he's really got to prove something because... Fresh off the off the farewell tour, well, I guess fresh off the Australian tour, uh, <clears throat> and so maybe he felt like he had something he needed to prove. But uh, man, that was not the way to, to do it for sure. So we're coming up to eight years since this album was released. You know, he's he's only really doing monster conventions now. I would love to know what does Peter Chris think of this album now? What does he think could have made it better? What do he, does he think, if any, and it's his album again, as you say, you know, were its shortcomings? Well, even even in his book, I think he he said that he he was so devastated that it didn't do well, and and like he had gone back and listened to it, and he like he didn't understand why it didn't do well. I mean, despite the vocal issues on it, and despite all the problems with it, and the song selection and the production on it, that I don't think he understood even a couple years ago when the book came out why it did so bad. I mean, I, in my mind, I, I think that he believes that it, it's a great album and that he got screwed again. Yeah. Everyone's out to get him. So do you think this might be why we haven't had any music from Peter in, so. in eight years? We've, had, we've heard of the legendary rock album that Richie Scarlett recorded bass for. Um, John, five did some John, five. John 5 did some guitar work. Angel again did a bunch of guitar for that. So apparently it's in the can and Peter continues to tinker with it. So we've got that, which I mean, I would love to hear another Peter Chris album. I mean, this is 2015. He's going to be 70 in December. So 
you know, time is not on anyone's side for him putting out an album. I know his breast cancer has become a central part of his life. That's probably more important at this point than music. But I would still like to hear some new music from Peter. I'd like to hear him rock out because he's got a great rock voice. Um, And I'd also like to hear the legendary jazz album. You know, he's talked a lot about these jazz influences that he wants to record. I mean, he's mentioned Sing, 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 you know, a lot of the Krupa stuff. You know, I'm not that well-versed on jazz. I would like Peter Chris to give me a introduction to jazz from his perspective. You know, his takes on some of the jazz greats that, you know, influenced him or that he thinks are worthy of people checking out. You know, it, it, cross-pollination of genre. So I'm going to come from a uh, rock perspective. Peter, tell me what jazz to check out and show me some of it. So I would love to hear both of those projects come to fruition. I mean, he can jazz drum, you know, well past 70, but rock, eh, I don't know. Yeah. Jake, what I do you mean, think? You know, I don't know. I mean, if if, the, if this legend, this, this legendary unreleased rock album it really does exist, because I, I think, I don't know where I read it, I think somebody even at one point asked John Five if, if he, you know, basically to confirm what they had heard. And it was my understanding he was sort of like, I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't recorded any songs with Peter Chris. Yeah, John, said, John said he hadn't done any work yet on it, but that he'd been approached. Right. So, you know, who knows whether this is, whether this is just folklore we're talking about. But, whether... but Richie has been in the studio and he's confirmed that he cut 12, I think it was 12 tracks. So he's confirmed that he did do work. You know, and, and if that's the case, I, I hope it comes out. You know, I mean, I think Peter's rock voice is still intact. You know, I think a good glimpse of that would have been you wanted the best, you got the best, where you get to hear Peter kind of rip it up a little bit. And he's still got that edge. Granted, that was a good while ago as well, so who knows where he's at vocally now. Obviously, I think his drumming would maybe not even come into play on a, on a rock album at this point. But uh, I'd love to see Peter do it. You know, I don't know whether he will. And maybe maybe the reason for the long gap is that maybe he got real with himself and realized I need quality control. I need some people that are going to shape up my ideas into something that's maybe a step higher than what I could do on my own. And maybe it's being passed through a number of channels, um, you know, for tweaking. I mean, hopefully that will be the case. Um, Hopefully coming off the one for all debacle, which God, I don't know how anyone could recover from that, but I would love to see Peter come out, you know, for the better after that album so i'd love to see a rock album from him alex i love a rock album um you know i mean peter peter there's a song tech i'll take an ep four songs itunes you know throw a couple tracks on itunes and uh i'll be happy with then like you said jazz you know I'm, i mean i didn't know if you look at like the 78 that's what was cool with the 78 was it was him so you know, if he's like, hey, you know, I don't want to do a rock album, but I've got a jazz material, cool beans. Like, you know, have a good producer or at least somebody that can say, hey, let's tweak this real quick and then put it out there, you know. And, you know, it, it sucks. That, you know, the record industry is the way it is with getting CDs released. But, you know, I put it up on iTunes. Um, yeah, he doesn't need a record label to do it. That's the whole thing. Right. That, you know, the music industry, for the disaster that it is for many of the legacy artists, for people who don't have a contract, for people who don't have any, anything to lose, it's a great industry nowadays. Do it themselves. Yeah, I mean, I, could see, I, I can't see iTunes 
our Apple going, um, you know, arguing. He goes, hi, I'm Peter Chris. They're, you know, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. We're so done with the kiss. Can I, you know, release some songs on iTunes? I think they'd work with him openly. Yeah, it wor- It doesn't work that way. If he's got something that he owns that he can put out, he can put it out. I mean, look at Vinny. Vinny managed to put the Euphoria EP out on iTunes. So the way iTunes works is in favor of the artist who has control of his catalog. So he doesn't have to ask permission of Universal, you know, and go down on his knees. So, you know, he can do it. Anyone can do it. Not just Peter Chris. You don't have to be a legend to put music out on iTunes because there's a whole lot of shit out there as well. <laughs> yeah, so so Peter, I mean, look, I mean, I know we probably, if you listen to this, and, you know, if you got a few tracks put up on iTunes, uh, four ninety nine, I'll buy it. You know, you only get five bucks out of me. Lonnie, what do you think? I think you get five bucks out of most Kiss fans if you put something up on iTunes. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to hear another release from Peter Chris. Like you said, he's going to be 70 years old this year. I would like to hear something else from him so that One for All isn't the last release we get from Peter Chris. Yeah, hallelujah um, on that. You know, let, let's let's have a better bookend to your music career. And I know that the breast cancer scare and what he dealt with and dealing with everything uh, with charity events surrounding that is probably more important to him at this point in his life. But considering who he is and what he means to millions of fans and what he means to just the rock industry, I would really like to hear some of these tracks that Richie has, has done with him. Even if just choose the best four or five of them and put them out as, as your, as a Rocky EP, just as, and, and make that it. Just, just something else, because you influence so many people in your career and in your life. Give us, give us something. Give us one more thing um, from you musically that kind of just puts a puts a bow on on your music career instead of just giving us one for all and it just being just downhill at the end. And you can see like why it ended. Just give us, give us one more strong release. Yeah, well, I'd love to hear the rock album and Richie. On, well, it's Richie on bass, not on guitar. Um, I think the book, one bookend that is possible is the recent Peter with Ace and Eddie Trunk. I think the remember was it Scott Ian. Yeah. Did yeah. you get, did you guys catch that? Yeah, I did. Boo again. It's awesome. Yep. So he sounded good. He looked good. Um, but again, it, it's down to what he feels. Uh, so no pressure, Peter. I'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear some music from you, um, and hopefully we will. So I did dig up one track that we were talking about earlier. Here's one of the earlier Alliance tracks, Telltale Valentine. All right, so that's a bit of Telltale Valentine. I think I'll the, say real quick, I just picture like the sweet epic '80s, like the guy broke up with this girl walking in like an '80s film with that song playing in the background. <laughs> so, like a little bit of an aha treatment on there. Mm-hmm. You know? I was yeah, thinking, I mean, it's, it's not so bad. It's, I mean, 
that sounds very in in tune with what was what was happening in that period. So at least it sounds timely. From what very kind of halls and Oatsy, I thought, but uh, we skipped over two other two other Peter Chris related things before we wrap up. Let's touch on scoff. Um, all of the scoff demos are out there except for one from the perspective second Chris album. Scoff, of course, was the members of Chris who, repla- who replaced Peter with uh, the drum tech. So they, they recorded an album which was primarily material that would have been on the second Chris album with stuff like I'm in a Band, The Shooter, um, Adeline, and that's Jason Ebbs on vocal rather than the Mike Stone. So that's out there for people to check out. And if you go over to Kiss Monster, we've got it on uh, Peter's discography, little 30-second samples, where you can go listen to the full versions over on YouTube. And the other thing, of course, is also, this is an official release, one of a kind, which was Mark Montague and Angel McCaughlin, who um, put out an album in 2005 that had three songs that are attributed to uh, Peter as a co-writer, Golden Arm, You Gotta Know, and uh, The Shooter which is, of course, that same Chris song I just mentioned. So those are two other things that you can seek out. You can buy one of a kind, the full CD, and it's actually, I, I liked it enough at the time it came out. And you yeah, guys, so, you heard this? Uh, some of those uh, some of those Chris demos uh, with Jason Epps, are, there's some strange stuff in there, you know, and even though I'm not a big fan necessarily of any of those songs, I think my reality seeds are some yeah. of the ones that pop in my head. But man, I'll tell you what, Ebbs is a weird guy anyway, so you can tell it, it's Jason. It's the Jason Ebbs show. But I can appreciate the fact that you know if that had come out, it, it would have definitely been a bold statement for Peter because there is nothing else like those songs anywhere else that you will find in the Peter Chris related canon musically. Anyway, it's very left of center, kind of quirky, kind of grungy. Uh, so you know, I mean, I don't know if necessarily would have done him a world of good career-wise, but it's nice to hear something just completely out of left field for Peter. Yeah, Jason's a really cool guy, very creative, very artistic, and there's a reason why one of his bands was uh, called, I think, Twisted Roots. You know, he will mix a whole bunch of Mm -hmm. influences into one thing. Um, So those are worth checking out if you you want to hear some stuff. That could have been Peter Chris. I I guess let's wrap it up. So let's have some final thoughts on Peter Chris, uh, the music of Peter Chris. Um, your high points, your, you know, summarize it, Alex. Um, Peter, love the music very much. Um, you know, minus the low points, you've got a lot of high points. There's a lot of high points of music that I think, um, legacy wise, always trumps even, even the low points, um, from black diamond to strange ways, the bull again, um, for the kiss stuff, even, you know, um, some of the stuff like, you know, Let Me Rock You, uh, There's Nothing Better, um, Tears, and even uh, Blue Moon Over Brooklyn, and, and even, you know, even On Fall has, at least for myself, um, a couple, you know, things that did stand out. So um, I think that's the great thing with Peter Chris. Even, even, even through the negative stuff, he still has that good stuff that, I mean, you can't deny it. You just can't deny it. Jay. Uh, well, you know, I think uh, Peter is maybe at times uh, justifiably maligned as sort of the, the the bastard child in the original Kiss lineup. Uh, but at the same time, 
you know, he's he's the OG drummer, you know, and what he did in Kiss alone, uh, as far as I'm concerned, is all that matters. Now, I will say at least one thing about Peter's career, for better or worse, nobody had a more diverse uh, career path in the Kiss family, without a doubt. I mean, the man covered everything from psych to doo-wop to country to AOR pop, disco. I mean, he's touched on all bases, big band music, the whole nine yards. So in, in that respect, you know, I give Peter props, you know, whether it was intentional or not, uh, you can certainly find a lot more diversity in Peter Chris's career path than you might in anyone else in the Kiss family. So for that, and you're, you know, an awesome Kiss drummer, and I'll always, I'll always love that about Peter Chris. Band would not have been nearly as good without him in those uh, early years. Sure. Lonnie. You know, Peter Chris isn't my favorite member of the band, and I don't know how many KISS fans, if you talk to 100 KISS fans, if they, if any of them would tell you, well, Peter Chris is my favorite member of the band of all time. But maybe you, but at the same time, Peter gave them the song Beth off a destroyer in 76 and if not for beth who knows what would have happened with destroyer because it was wasn't doing well at the time and it made kiss into a mainstream band for for everybody and maybe if you ask somebody in 76 or 78 when kiss was at their heightest and 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 beth was was at the top of the charts people might have said you know peter chris is my favorite member of the band and you know we talked that he only wrote four songs only wrote or co-wrote four songs for Kiss in his entire career, but he made his mark as the Catman, and those vocal performances on on Baby Driver and Nothing to Lose and Black Diamond are, are legendary. Like the scream he lets out during Nothing to Lose, during Black Diamond, and the scream he lets out during Baby Driver are just just epic, and you can just feel the passion. And he has influenced so many drummers because of what he did in kiss and he he's a rock legend and like jay said he has he from we talked about the stuff that he did from lips and chelsea to what he did with kiss to what he did with alliance in the 80s and he did so many different things and he's extremely talented and at the same time i would i would love to hear just something more from him. Agreed. Peter Chris, you're an icon. You are the original drummer in Kiss. You're not a carbon kitty, and that's not to denigrate, you know, Eric Singer now, but you were the guy who invented those riffs for the band. You're the guy who drummed on all the classic albums. You're the one whose voice was on those early albums. So, you know, it it's impossible to not you know, tip my hat with respect to you. You introduced me to a whole bunch of different styles of music, some of which I didn't necessarily like, um, but I still got to hear some of where you were coming from, even if I can't connect with it. So I hope that in the future we're going to hear some more music from you. I would also love to, you know, have some of this unreleased stuff that we've referenced today released in proper quality and through the proper channels so that those who wrote and performed on it, you know, get paid their share. You know, it's, we've enjoyed it for, 
you know decades in, in some cases so it'd be great to have it officially out there in pristine quality but you know as I, I think a lot of the, us find out as we get older health is the key thing so if breast cancer is going to be the bookend to your career of uh, letting men know that that we can also suffer from breast cancer and it's also a, a great battle to fight for the women in our lives you know I, I, I can live with that so Peter Chris this episode was about you. We salute you. Thank you very much.